You're listening to Comedy Central. September 5th, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. and the creator of a brand new hair care line, Tracy Ellis Ross is joining us, everybody. And we're double lucky. We're also gonna be talking to one of the Democratic presidential candidates who's also got a new hair care line, Montana Governor Steve Bullock is joining us. Also on tonight's show, we figure out how to save the Amazon rainforest. Super Mario Brothers go back to school and Donald Trump finally gets his wall. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the border wall, Trump's favorite imaginary friend. (laughs) Building it was his biggest campaign promise. And if you voted for him, then good news, it's finally happening. President Trump tonight diverting billions of dollars from the Pentagon from the military to fund his border wall. The Pentagon notifying lawmakers it is diverting funds away from over 100 military construction projects, $3.6 billion in total to pay for the president's border wall. Cutting funds Congress approved for all sorts of programs like $40 million from Camp Lejeune, $160 million from West Point, and the single largest cut in the United States and its territories, $400 million for efforts to rebuild military sites in Puerto Rico after they were wrecked by Hurricane Maria. President Trump says the money is needed as a matter of national security. Wow. (laughs) He seems like an idiot, but this guy's a genius. No, you see, I didn't see it before, but clearly this was his plan all along. Think about it. Trump builds the wall by taking money away from the military. Now America has no military and it's totally defenseless. So Mexico invades, takes over America. Now Mexico runs America, which means Mexico is paying for the wall. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant plan. Wow. No, for real. For real, man, Trump is struggling here. He went from Mexico will pay for the wall to stealing the money from his own military? If this is how he negotiates, I can see why he went bankrupt so many times. Like, he would be (laughs) the worst kidnapper ever. If you want to see your son again, you're gonna need to pay me a million (laughs) dollars. I don't have a million dollars. Then I'm gonna pay you. (laughs) All right, let's move on now to some international news. While schools in America are trying to get their scores higher, schools in Britain are just trying to get a high score. Kids in England are going to learn life skills a whole new way by playing video games. Get this, Nintendo games are being introduced into the curriculum to help teach computing and other skills. Classics like Mario and Donkey Kong will become a fixture in the classrooms as well, just like Shakespeare and the periodic table of the elements. The head of the initiative believes this will inspire the next generation of young minds across the United Kingdom. Yes, you heard that right. Super Mario will be taught in schools just like Shakespeare. They're gonna be playing Nintendo games as part of school. Like that, that's the one thing that could make video games boring, is a teacher trying to teach it. Just being like, now remember students, as in real life, the best way to kill a turtle is to jump on it, okay? (laughs) 
I will say, I think teaching Mario in school is a great idea. I mean, I learned so many things from that game that I still follow today. You know, if you eat spicy plants, fire's gonna shoot out of your ass. Uh, if you see an open pipe, always jump into it. And most importantly, you never get the girl because she's always in another castle. Yeah, because it's a castle. You can't chase her around. You can chase her all you want. Yeah, but she's not coming back to your shitty studio apartment when the other guy has a castle. So stop stalking her and get a job. <laughs> These are the lessons I learned from games. <laughs> and finally, a news story from Germany about an amusement park ride that wasn't so amusing. And in the category of you had one job, a German amusement park has been forced to shut down a new ride after customers noted parts of it looked like a giant spinning SWAT sticker. The Adler Flug, which is German for Eagle's Flight, consists of eagle-shaped cars connected to an axis that strongly resembles the notorious symbol of Nazi Germany. After a social media backlash, the owners immediately closed the ride. Oh, man, that... <laughs> that does not look good. And it's even worse when you see the sign that says you must be this tall to ride. <laughs> Honestly, you know, the most shocking part of this story for me is that Germans have amusement parks. That doesn't seem like a German idea. You just picture them now like, family, we are going to have a mandatory fun day. <laughs> Und remember, when we get our picture taken, we show German joy. <laughs> now look, obviously, this was a mistake. But if you're a German, you can't afford to make this kind of mistake, all right? Stay away from anything that could even closely resemble a swastika. In fact, just stay away from right angles completely. <laughs> Everything in Germany should be curved. All the buildings should be curved. Tables and chairs should be curved. Don't even dance the robot. It's too close. <laughs> it's dangerous. Yeah, just keep it tight. Finger guns, finger guns. Okay, actually, no guns. You're German, no guns. Just peace signs, peace signs. <laughs> all right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. Climate change. It's once again the top issue for many people in America, partly because of the devastation of Hurricane Dorian, which is such a crazy storm that it somehow hit the Bahamas, the Carolinas, and then, thanks to President Trump's Sharpie pen, also <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> yeah, Trump basically thinks his Sharpie can bend reality to be whatever he wants it to be, which I guess is why all his family photos look like this. But... <laughs> The conversation about climate change is happening all over the world, more than ever, right now. And the focus is on another major disaster unfolding in Brazil. Brazil's Amazon rainforest, the world's largest, is burning at a record rate. There have been more than 74,000 fires this year, up 84% from last year. For weeks now, the Amazon rainforest, one of Earth's most valuable resources, has been ravaged by fires. The collection of tens of thousands of blazes engulfing an area two-thirds the size of the continental United States. Fires burning from the equivalent of Detroit to Los Angeles. Brazil has deployed 44,000 troops, but most fires go unfought here. On the front lines at one fire, twice the size of New Jersey, only 30 men are fighting the flames with no hoses, sometimes just kicking the fire. Just kicking the fire? They're dealing with a forest fire the same way I deal with an ice cube that fell on the floor? It's like, ah, go away, go into the fridge. Rah. I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense because Brazil is the soccer capital of the world, so they probably try to solve everything through kicking, you know? I bet instead of CPR, they just kick the person in the chest until he breathes again. It's like, granddad, stay with me. Come on, granddad, come on. So this is a big problem for Brazil, but their real problem, the real problem is that it's the world's issue. 
right? Because the Amazon isn't just some random forest nobody cares about, like Forest Whitaker. No, the rainforest <laughs> is critical to keeping carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. It mitigates climate change, and it's the world's most diverse ecosystem, which is why all around the world, people are demanding something be done. The political heat <laughs> getting hotter at home and around the world. Protests in Canada, France, Germany, England. I'm just really scared that when I'm older, the world that I'm living in isn't gonna be as nice as it is now. The outcry on social media has been huge, with the hashtag Pray for the Amazon trending. Oscar winner and environmental activist Leonardo DiCaprio speaking out in a series of posts on Instagram. The lungs of the earth are in flames. Yes, from young people in Europe all the way to Hollywood stars like Leonardo DiCaprio, everyone has come together to raise awareness for the Amazon. And can I just say how impressed I am that Leonardo DiCaprio is so dedicated to fighting climate change? I mean, the guy raised like $5 million for this. He's out there every day and don't forget, he died because of an iceberg, right? <laughs> but he's still out there fighting to protect them. That is dedication, my friends. <laughs> now, look, as part of nature's cycle, the Amazon rainforest experiences fires every single year. But the reason these fires have gotten so much attention is because it looks like Brazil's new president, Jair Bolsonaro, is quite literally fanning the flames. Brazil's president didn't strike the match that lit these flames. But many say, given his policies and his response to the crisis, he might as well have. It is believed that many of the fires were started by farmers trying to clear land. Bolsonaro's seeming support for the development of the Amazon may have emboldened farmers to burn land. He campaigned on the idea that economic development was being stifled because of unnecessary affection for the Amazon. He's delighted his supporters by saying too much of the forest is protected. Since he came into power, he's been stripping protections from the Amazon and other forests in Brazil and encouraging farmers to set fire to land and clear it. Okay, that is insane, man. Running for president on a promise of destroying the Amazon forest? Doesn't sound like real life. It sounds like something the Joker would say. And then even when he gets to office, he'd be like, burn down the Amazon, come on. That was just something I said. <laughs> I was joking, I'm the Joker. <laughs> It's not funny when you have to explain the joke. Come on, guys. <laughs> but yes, it turns out Brazil's president is more interested in the commercial potential of the Amazon rainforest than the life it protects, which might explain why he's so resistant to accept accepting help from the rest of the world. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is refusing $20 million in emergency aid from G7 countries to fight those fires, calling it part of a colonial mentality. Bolsonaro adding he didn't trust the motivation behind the money, telling reporters earlier this week, why do they have their eye on the Amazon? What do they want there? What do they want there? They want the Amazon to not burn down. <laughs> Just because you want to exploit the Amazon rainforest doesn't mean everyone else does. Can you imagine living next door to this guy? His house would be on fire, and then when you come with a bucket of water to help, he'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you trying to save my house? Are you trying to sleep with my wife? And you'd be like, no, uh, it's just your house is on fire, so it might come to me. Like my wife? No, hey! <laughs> now, many leaders, many leaders of the world's biggest nations have criticized the Brazilian president for his inaction, but no one has been more vocal than French President Emmanuel Macron which is why Bolsonaro and his government have decided to light his ass up. The rhetoric between France and Brazil really heating up as these fires continue to burn. Bolsonaro's chief of staff brought the recent Notre Dame fire into the fight, saying, quote, 
Macron cannot even avoid a predictable fire in a church that is part of world heritage and wants to give lessons to our country. On Monday, Bolsonaro endorsed a Facebook post mocking the appearance of Macron's wife. Bolsonaro joined in on a meme on Facebook about the French First Lady Bridget Macron's appearance compared to his own wife, and he said, quote, don't humiliate the guy. God damn. That's one of the most petty things I've ever seen. Macron said the world needs to save the Amazon, and in response, Bolsonaro came for Notre Dame and Macron's wife. Yeah, this is gonna make the next UN meeting so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna have to put Israel and Palestine between Brazil and France, <laughs> just to ease the tensions. Be like, all right, you guys just calm them down. <laughs> so as it stands, the situation seems pretty bad. The world's most precious forest is on fire. Brazil's leaders aren't doing enough to stop it and its president might even want this to happen. So I'm gonna be honest, folks. Seems like there's only one man who can stop this. Donald J. Trump. <laughs> you see, what we need to do is, we need to get the president to pull out that magic march, <laughs> that magic Sharpie of his, and we need to get him to send that hurricane down from Alabama <laughs> all the way to Brazil to fan out the flames. Come on, Mr. Trump, use your power for good. Do it now, Donald. Do it now. We'll be right back. Do it, Donald. is the Democratic governor of Montana and candidate for president of the United States. Please welcome Governor Steve Bullock. <laughs> welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. Um, what a time to be running for president. <laughs> The Hunger Games, yes. what is it at this yes, point? Yes, it feels like that. There, are, there were 24, 25, I think five dropped out, so we're still at too many. Um, yeah. But you are still confidently running in this race with a platform that many have said is different to what you see yeah. from the other candidates. What do you think separates you? Yeah, I think I am the only one in this field that actually won a Trump state. Donald Trump took Montana by 20. I was reelected by four. 25 to 30% of my voters actually voted for Donald Trump. And that's also being, if the core of the word pro progressive is really making progress, but it will make meaningful progress in everything from education to protecting civil liberties to protecting a woman's right to make her own health care decisions to really move and kicking dark money out of our elections. And, and, and I've, I've done this the whole time with a legislature that's about 60% Republican. So we have to show that we can get things done. I've also taken on what I think is the biggest threat to all of us, and this is really the corrupting influence of money in our overall system. So I think I bring things geographically different. I'm the only governor left in this Hunger Games. Right. Um, <laughs> generationally different. And, uh, you know, being off the coasts, with all due respect, isn't a bad position to be outside of Washington, D.C. Let's, let's talk about the why, then. Why do you think it is that somebody could vote for you with those progressive policies 
and then turn around and also vote for Donald Trump. It seems like a paradox. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I mean, Montana is the geographic size of Japan, right? It's the fourth largest state in the country. I don't have the luxury of just going out and saying, where are those Democrats? I'm going to talk to them. Right. I actually have to engage all across that state. I show up, I listen, try to figure out what's happening. And I really do focus on getting things done. I think one of the challenges, like when you look at 60% of people in this country haven't had a pay increase in real terms in 40 years, right? I was growing up in the early 80s. 90% of 30-year-olds back then were doing better than their parents were at age 30. Today, it's only half. So there's a whole lot of folks that say, this economy's not working for us. Democrats often seem a little bit elitist and not even showing up and listening to some of the challenges. So I think that folks that voted for me, they disagreed with a whole lot of things maybe that I stood for, right. but they also knew that I gave a damn about their life and I do everything possible to try to make their life better. Do you think that's the big rift in the Democratic Party right now is this idea that they don't have to listen or there's an elitist view? Is, is, is that what might be hurting the Democratic Party when it comes to those swing votes? Well, I think that there is a challenge. Yeah, back a long time ago, this guy named Mo Udall, he ran for president. He goes, when Democrats organize a firing squad, we usually do it in a circle, right? We're really good at kind of shooting at one another. Right. But I do think, like, look, I actually went to law school here in New York. I went to Columbia Law School. Ended up having to pay off $175,000 of debt in today's terms. It impacted what I could do along the way. So we, yeah, we have to make sure the college is affordable. We got to make sure everybody has a path. But when 68% of Americans don't even have a two-year college degree, mm -hmm. have no degree, and all we're talking about is those folks that went to college. Sometimes I think that there is a disconnect where folks are saying, what are you going to do to help my life get better? And then they look to Washington, D.C., right? And it's not worrying about them. When you look at it, that whoever cleans up tonight, this place, paid more in taxes than 60 Fortune 500 companies. Wow. Folks are just saying, it's not working. And But let's not kid ourselves. Like Donald Trump said he'd have your back. He has not. He's helped out stock buybacks. Or he said, look, we'll drain the swamp. It's swampier today than it ever was. So you... You know, you, you have a grasp of these ideas. You, you understand the legislative side of fixing the problems, but you've specifically said you don't want to run as a senator. Yeah. You know, people have said, okay, forget the presidential race. Why not help the Democrats win, you know, the Senate race? That's gonna make a bigger change. But you've said, I wanna be an executive. What do you think the big dis difference is between just being a politician and being in a position like governor or being a president or a mayor or something of a, you know, that's more executive in its decision-making? Yeah, I, I mean, I actually have to get shit done, right? I can't just, <laughs> sorry. Oh, we shouldn't say that on no, a cable no, no, television. No, that's, that's just, uh, you don't expect to hear that. Uh, I mean, me, <laughs> meaning that like, I can't go out and say, well, here's my plan and it's just a press release. I can't just give speeches. I see people when they're struggling with healthcare, when I bring my son to a grocery store, somebody brings up an issue. I can't, it can't just be about even the partisan food fight. You have to meaningfully impact people's lives. And even as governor like Montana, when you look at everything from, boy, I'm commander in chief of National Guard. I've sent people on their fourth and fifth deployment overseas. Or when you look at college affordability. Well, I froze college tuition. We have the fourth lowest tuition fees in the nation. We want to make sure it's affordable. So as an executive, you have to deal with all these issues that mm -hmm. come through your desk every single day. And I think I do bring a different perspective. Other than a perspective, though, on a policy side, what would you say is the one thing that separates you 
from all other 20 Democrats running, 37 or running many, for president. Right? Yeah. Because they, they, everyone has progressive ideas. You know, people want to lower college tuition. People are saying we've got to get money out of politics. There are a few ideas, but what do you think is the one thing where you go like, Steve Bullock, this is the one thing I come with beyond perspective, yep. policy-wise, that'll change America. Yeah, and I think part of it is that I've not just talked about it, I've done it, right? When you look at dark money in our elections, we passed one of the most progressive laws in the country with a two-thirds Republican legislature that says, look, even if you call yourself Americans for America for America or whatever it is, mm -hmm. if you're going to spend in our elections, you have to disclose every dollar you're spending in the last 30 days. Never forget when I was run for re-election in 2016, about Oh, 92 days out, the Koch brothers, Americans for Prosperity, mailed every household in Montana. They even mailed the governor's residence. And my three kids are looking at this and saying, are you really that much of a creep, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> but then it stopped, right? It stopped 90 days out, and elections actually became about the candidates and people. And if we can stop That's them there, we can stop them everywhere. Because if you look at the issues that we're facing right now, and a lot of them that are talking about uh, right. in this Democratic primary, from climate change to gun safety to income inequality to the fact that Costco can negotiate prescription drugs, but it's illegal for the federal government to negotiate prices, all of those things, in part, goes back to corrupting influence and money in our system. If we're going to fix that, then we can also fix all these other things. Take the money out. Yeah. <laughs> fix the system. On, on guns, yeah. you've had a progressive view that some felt wasn't progressive enough. And then over time, your, your, you know, your views evolved. You, you, you weren't a fan of universal background yeah. checks. And then after Parkland, you came and you said, yeah. listen, I think we need to do more to fight, you know, guns getting into the wrong people's hands. Yeah. Some say, oh, that's not progressive enough. But how do you think the conversation in and around guns needs to be handled, especially as someone coming from Montana? Yeah, and I'm a gun owner, right? I hunt. 40% of households in America have a firearm in them. Never forget, I'm sitting in my office after it was the Vegas shooting. And we were asked to lower the flags. And I'm like, I don't even know what to write in this proclamation. And a coworker, a young staffer goes, oh, we now have a template for mass shootings. I've lowered him nine times since then, seven times since Parkland. I think if we could ever actually look at this as a public health issue, not as a political issue, public health issue would say universal background checks. Look, the vast majority of Republicans, the vast majority of NRA members think that we should have universal background checks, red flag laws, safe storage, Dick's and Walmart no longer even sell assault weapons. There's no reason, you know, they're not used for hunting. They're not used for self-defense. We shouldn't do that as well. But I think when I was growing up, I mean, the NRA was, it was a gun safety. It was a hunting and a shooting organization. Mm -hmm. I'll give you 30 million reasons why we're not making a bit of progress. That's $30 million that they spent getting Trump elected. And we're at this point where, look, he said it right after Parkland. He said, universal background checks, we ought to do it. He talked to the head of NRA. Immediately walked backwards. After the El Paso and Dayton shootings, the same thing happened as well. So I think that the way that we do make progress on this, first of all, figure out who's funding, like are the Russians or who the, who the heck's funding the NRA. But more than that, recognizing that the commonality, I've never met a gun owner that isn't worried about saying, I sure hope my kid, when he has to go through those active shooter drills at school, I sure hope my kid um, never gets involved in something like that. If we could ever make it even gun owners and gun owners alike saying, we've got to change what's happening here and we could actually do it. We don't have to rely on just Washington, D.C. along the way.
Pretty impressive plans. You seem like a focused man. Yeah. Good luck in the rest of the race. Thanks for having me. I hope we see you at the next debate after this debate. <laughs> Governor Steve Bullock, everybody. We'll be right back. is a Golden Globe award-winning actor who executive produces the new ABC series Mixed-ish. She's also the founder and CEO of the new hair care brand, Patton Beauty. Please welcome Tracy Ellis Ross. That sounded so good, Trevor. What sounded good? Oh, the EP, the founder CEO. I was like, oh. But that's like, you. I know, but it sounded good. Yeah, it sounds good because that's what new, you're doing. But it's new. Congratulations so, yeah, on the new. Congratulations much. on another new kick-ass thing that you are doing in your world, Tracy Ellis Ross. You're doing amazing things. Thank you. Not for real. Let's um let's talk I, first about about Mixedish. Yeah, let's do it. So Blackish, huge success. Yeah, it's right. Super and then Mixedish is a spin-off. So there's there's Blackish, there's Grownish, mm -hmm. and then there's Mixedish. Yes, the Mixedish goes backwards. Right. So it's my my character Bo's childhood. Okay, about yeah. growing up as a mixed race child in like a much earlier time in the America. The 80s. Right. The binary 80s. Good <laughs> clothes. Good hair. <laughs> Not. It, you know what, what's interesting about like that feeling in that time is like like being mixed race comes with a really interesting narrative in America. It does. Right. Different where, where you're from. Yeah. No. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Where it's like it's you obviously had the one drop rule where it's like you black immediately and then like people were like oh but sometimes I don't feel black or people tell me I'm not black enough and or this what whole is thing, black what does what that, how is, is that black, defined how does black count like is that ripe for comedy. Sure. I mean, it's just like the subject matter on Blackish. <laughs> <laughs> if you list the things that we've done as stories on Blackish, you wouldn't think it was a comedy. Right. But I think that the things that we go through as human beings can be very funny. Um, Mixedish is the story of how I came to be as Bo Johnson, but it's the story of a fish out of water which all of us experience in many different ways. Right, right. Um, I think the beauty of it is when you're telling the mixed story, you have these two different experiences, two different heritages, two different worlds. How do you, within that world, define yourself? Um, and I think a lot of us experience that, whether it's because you have two different races or mm -hmm. heritages that you come from, um, but when you feel other than. Um, and I think that's a really interesting story to navigate through, especially when you're looking at the binary world of the 80s. Have you ever felt other than? All the time. What do you mean all the time? I feel like, you know, like you came from this world, like, you know, Diana Ross's daughter, and it just yeah. feels like you were just like in the mix all the With time. With guns, just Yeah, blazing. just, you know, just like, <laughs> it was the 80s, yeah. No. Um, no, it's a journey. It's, a, it's like the journey with my hair. I mean, yes, my mother and I come from a family where my mom had natural hair and, and I was supported in loving myself as I am authentically, but the world around me and the representation and what I saw told me that my hair should be a different way and that my beauty was defined by a standard that I did not fit into. Interesting. And so as a result, um, I tried to beat my hair into submission, make it look easy breezy, bouncing and behaving. Why yes. wouldn't it fall into my hair? All these different things. And I started this journey. You could chronicle my journey of self-acceptance through my journey with my hair. It's interesting because if we see your hair now, like 
like when when I when I stalk you on social media, oh, I see everyone loves the hair. Everyone's like, oh my god, they oh my, I wish my my hair, I wish my hair. And you had this amazing series of posts where you you put out like your journey yeah. of how you struggled with your hair, like yeah. relaxing the hair, straightening the yep. hair, blowing out the hair, just trying to get it to not be to what not everybody be what loves. It is. And well, what 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 it is? Yes. And I think you know the standard of beauty is steeped in patriarchy, racism, sexism. There was a standard of what things look like. We are in a different time now as there's an exploration happening. But these people with my hair, you, we've existed for a long time. <laughs> we've been wearing our hair for ages. Um, and I think the world is kind of waking up to right. our beauty and our power. I mean, I did always, you ever wear your hair big? Are you kidding? I always wanted Pictures. to have my hair straight. Always. See? No, really, because that was like and, the thing. Cause and in why? Because in school, for instance, they would be like, if your hair's curly, it's too, they were like, it's messy. Yeah. It's ugly. They were like, so you know, like teachers would be like, hey, cut your hair. Be appropriate. Like, yeah, but then like the white boys would have like that hair that's like. Falls you know, in your face. You know, the hair, like where you could do the thing. Yeah, and every time they tried to get your attention, yeah, they'd be like they'd this. Yeah, they'd do the thing. And yeah. then like, if they'd say something, they'd be like, poof, and then the, the hair would come I stood up. like this for a long time. Why? Because that's the way the girls stood, because their hair would just... Oh, you like wanted this. the hair to do... Yeah. yeah. It didn't do anything, but I would just be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Oh, are you talking to me? Oh, that's so amazing. Right? So I, yeah, so then I went, and then I, like, would even, like, try and relax my hair, and then they burnt my scalp. Yes. And then, like, you know, when you do the whole thing yes. in the salon, and then they put the thing, and yes. then they, like, leave it in, leave yeah. it in. And you're, Until like, you're, burning. like, burning, and they're, like, good, it's, good. they're, like, good, the more it burns, yeah. the straighter it becomes. Yeah. <laughs> And it's horrible. Let all of your heritage, everything that is you naturally, <laughs> let's burn it out of you. No. So you have a new, you have a new hair care line specifically designed for curly, coily, and tight textured hair. Woo! Look at that. So that your hair can be celebrated, nourished. It can be healthy, hydrated, happy, joyful, and juicy. Wow. Wow. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, what, what is the difference? That's, some, that's one thing I've always wanted to know. Because I know, like, for instance, I, I had to learn very early on that there are many hair care products you can't use with this kind of hair. Yeah. Like, you know what I learned is when I first started traveling, I remember the first time I stayed in a hotel, and oh. there was shampoo. Oh, that's a bad and then, mistake. Like, this is just a rule. Like, if you're a black person, you just don't use shampoo don't use in a it. hotel. Like, don't use just, it. It's not bad. It's just not made for your hair. It's like using a bar of soap. Yes, and I didn't know this. And I was like, yeah. oh, free shampoo. And then afterwards, I was like, no, I see why it's free. <laughs> and it was horrible. So what, what makes your products different for, like, tight, coily? Curly. Curly. Coily. Coily. Tighter textures. T tighter textures. Yeah. Um, uh, filled with ingredients that are healthy and safe for your hair, ah. um, ingredients that nourish your hair, um, that I don't know if you are somebody with this kind of hair, you know that you want slippage, you want clumping, you want curl activation. Wow. Yeah, you want hydration, you want moisture. I hear a lot of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what you want, Trevor. So there's three conditioners, medium, heavy, and intensive. There is a hydrating shampoo that gently cleanses, but does not strip the hair of moisture. This is fun. Yeah. There's two oil serums, an argon serum, which I like to mix with the leave-in conditioner. There is also a Yehoba serum, which is a blend of oils. Those can be used on your scalp, on your hair dry, or on your hair wet. And then there's also a shower brush, a clip, and a towel. And look at this. 
And, yeah. a, and a leave-in conditioner because a lot of us, because our hair needs moisture, um, often don't rinse our conditioner completely out, which is actually not what you should do. Wow. Um, because the conditioner really should only be left in your hair for as long as it is prescribed. But when you finish rinsing, you want that moisture to be still in your hair and you want to seal in the cuticle of the hair. This is such technical talk, guys. Right, so that you can you get wanna, the yeah, curl. Yeah, you want to seal it in and get that curl to bounce up and be juicy and joyful. I and want so you get that leave-in. I think you could use the leave-in yeah. condition. No, I'm I saying, not saying you need it. No, but I would use it. I yeah, need I'm it. I'm talking about next thing you know, he's going to have, he's going to come back. I'm going to come on the show with like curls, just like coming out of my head. <laughs> just be like, these are my curls. I, yeah. love, I love the silence. Congratulations on the Thank shows, you. but you know what? Congratulations on just being like a kick-ass everything. Oh, you're kind. CEO, <laughs> this is like president, creator of everything. <laughs> president no, I love the sound of these products so much that if you look under your seats, Right now, He's you just... guys don't even believe me. We didn't, first of all, we didn't even look under. You were like, you're not flinch. Oprah trauma. Don't look under your seat. They didn't even flinch. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I know him. He's not <laughs> Oprah. He can't afford that. Tracy Ellis Ross, everybody, thank you so much for coming on the show. Mix this premiere September 24th at 9 p.m. on ABC. <laughs> The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 